This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. Oh, we back! Yep. Like Ladanian Tomlinson's RB Steakhouse. My yep. God, I love that commercial. <laughs> Which is just as well, because it's only on 47 times in every yeah. ad break in the Premier League, David. Talking about the Premier League. Yeah. And yeah. being back. We are headed back. Where, David? Uh, we're going to England, Rog. We're going up We're going up north where the sky is closer to the ground. For round two of our Visit Britain series, Premier League weekend. Where are we going exactly, David? Once again, Rog, up north where the sky is closer to the ground. North of the wall. Yeah. Oh, where the wildings are. You're very brave, David. Mm-hmm. Craster's Keep, Manchester and Liverpool. Have you ever been to Man- I don't even know the answer to this. Manchester and Liverpool. Have well, do, you been? Yeah, I've been to Liverpool, been to Manchester. I went on a Cheshire exchange when I was 11. That was thank the first God, time I went God. to Liverpool. You, you went on what? A Cheshire exchange. That's the way. Cheshire, it, by the way, for those of you who don't know, there's Liverpool, yeah. Merseyside, and then Cheshire is like the, the fancy kind of horse and golfy kind of set that live on the Not perimeter. The part of Cheshire where I went to. Were Rog. you on one of those uh, learning surfaces? Were you there to build houses for the poor I people? I felt like I was in an good. episode of Quantum Leap where they just sent me back in time <laughs> to the 1920s. I remember literally the first night. I remember oh, driving 1920s, up and we were joking. I'd bite your arm off for the 1920s, I remember joking mate. on the coach on the way up there with my friends that, oh my God, what are we going to have for dinner? A chip butty. A, like a, a sandwich with French fries in it, a oh, chip butty. Only on a Friday. Like the, the, you always only heard that people days. from the north ate them. Literally, I arrived for dinner that night. You can guess what we had for dinner. <laughs> First night, covered in gravy. Northern boys love gravy. Oh, I'd love it to was... have been. I'd love to have been in that house awaiting you. They'd be like, "Oh God, oh. we've got to have a chip butty to to act like Northerners in the Southerners' imagination." Oh, no, I'm sure the they exchange... were having. I'm sure they were knee deep in the kale and the the juice fast, and they're like, "You know what? We're going to Northern reputation to live up. We're going to have to." We're we're going to have to wheel out the chip buddy, yeah, buddies for this thick, unsophisticated southerner. Yeah, this kale, humorless southerner. Kale, well, thick and unsophisticated, I think is fair. Humorless, I wouldn't say. <laughs> but 1977, Rog, kale didn't exist. You know that. Ah, I think it, I would say, though, yet. I would say, I'm trying to remember his name. It might have been Roy it's was probably, his name. It's probably people, I think his name was Roy. There's always one part who gets the better side of the exchange. Like, certainly, I got the better side. When I did my French exchange in Lyon, with Jean-Marc, I got the better half of that exchange because when Jean-Marc came to London, was not a great experience for him. Me and Leo, whoa, it was excellent. But with Roy in Cheshire, he definitely, when he came to London, he had the I'm better part of that exchange. I'm just blown away that you, like the cultural schism is so massive that they had cultural exchanges. I can understand why you'd have a cultural exchange with someone from another country. There but was like less going schism. up north was seen to be like oh, a cultural exchange. Compa- honestly, going to Lyon was like going to like, you know, just like north of the river in London. <laughs> going going to Liverpool was literally like going to a different century oh, at that point. Well, we are going to return to that century, David. Oh, We're going to trace really the origins forward to it. of the Smiths. We're going to have a Vindaloo on Curry Mile. We're also going to be at the seismic clash over the ages. And it's Liverpool, Manchester City. Come on, Kyle Walker. Oh, I've made a bold and impossibly tragic decision, Davo. Yep. I'm going to take the ferry across the Mersey with my dad, Judge Iver. <laughs> ferry across the Mersey. 
Oh, I'm going to have him talk about his love of Liverpool. Uh-huh. No, I don't think even Tony Hibbert or Rafa Benitez, the two people who I know who love Liverpool the most, uh-huh. love the city half as much as my dad. Uh-huh. Would he die for it? Would he? Would he kill? Would he kill for Liverpool? <laughs> yeah, you'd laugh, but he probably. When my brother Nigel yeah. got married, he married a Liverpool girl, yeah. Rebecca. And my dad's speech at that wedding, which closed in on two hours, he totally lost himself. It uh-huh. began with the opening line, a Liverpool girl marrying a Liverpool boy. Who would have thought it? And then it just became a love letter to the city. Oh. Just an attack on all the haters who've tried to destroy it over the mm-hmm. centuries. And he totally lost himself in the speech. And that is what I want to recapture with him on that ferry. It's going to make for a bloody long digital short, David. Yeah. How my, long is the ferry ride? Uh, it's. I think we're going to go back. It's going to be there. <laughs> I've got a feeling it's going to be the Gandhi of digital shorts so long that it needs its own intermission. I'm not sure America is ready for my dad, but my Lord, my dad is ready for America, David. Let me quickly say, though, talking of Gandhi, because I don't know how long that movie ran, but our <sighs> producer, J-Dubs, ran the marathon quicker than the movie Gandhi last weekend. He turned in like a 3.20. For anybody who's ever tried to run a marathon, he ran at sub eight minute mile pace around 26 miles. I'm not sure he's with ever they, run a marathon before. With his tree trunk legs. With his too. tree trunk legs and also going in dirty slide tackles against everybody running around <laughs> him. I went out to Brooklyn. I had a couple of friends running in it. You get to track them on the app. I was tracking JW. Block by block, I tracked him from the start. JW was running so fast. He literally ran past me and I didn't even see him. It was a blur, a blur of JW. But he turned in an amazing time, uh, raised money for America Scores. It was a moving day. Congratulations, JW. Amazing thing about you him. run like the wind. He, said he runs like Raz Sterling, if I'm being honest. <laughs> he with his does. little hands paddling yeah. as if he's doing the he doggy does. paddle on the side. Yeah. He's, he's an amazing man. The funny thing about J-Dubs is I've traveled all over America with him the past two months. I had no idea he was running a marathon until a couple of days before. I know. He just and kept you, it and totally to himself. Me, and and then, then I said, and then I said, bloody hell. He said, oh, I'm just going to jog around. I'm not really ready. And then he did like seven minute miles. Yeah, seven The more 50s. we talk about it, the more sickening he is as a human being. He really is. He's beautiful. He's good, so says, good looking. You might be able to run a marathon seven minute miles, but I don't think you could get through 20 minutes with my Pilates master. <laughs> <laughs> no, can I? <laughs> I would say, to, just to build a picture, Roger's, Roger's head, as he's been doing his Pilates, yeah. when Rog uh, gets fitter or goes on a diet, his head gets skinny. You lose your weight. No. Some people gain weight in their no. faces. You, you first First of all, lose your weight yeah. in your head Do around, I? yeah. And I notice because I see you in profile. You I'm only not, see yourself normally, when you look straight I normally, in the mirror. I normally lose weight first between my toes. Oh yeah, I don't see your toes a lot, thank God. So, but I do see your profile, and you, your head's looking skinny. Is it really from your Pilates? I did get stopped on the street for the first time ever today. Uh huh. Talking about my head shape changing, and someone asked me if I was a new palm Kurt. <laughs> the star of Bollywood and David like bend it like Beckham. Yeah. How old a gentleman is a new pump car? I think he's in his late seventies. Okay. <laughs> and, and he was just on the show. So you saw I him up close. What to say to this person? They were like, it was, a, it was an Indian woman. Yeah. And she said, ah, oh, I bet you get this all the time. Get stopped in the street and people ask you if you're a new palm car. Yeah. And I said, noops. Yeah. She's like, what? I said, uh, yeah, Noops is a mate of mine. I pulled up my phone. He was a guest on Men in Blazers on the last show. Yeah. And I showed her it and I joked and said, um, I said to Noops, who's a bald Indian man, probably, I uh-huh. guess, late 60s, possibly early 70s. Uh-huh. And um, I said to her, I said to Noops to uh-huh. be my son. Ha, 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 as a joke. And she said, ah, oh, don't be silly. You're the same age as Noops. <laughs> Google Wikipedia, <laughs> Noops is 73. Pilates. 
it's changing changing everything, changing everything. Uh, Okay, Rod, sadly, us being in England does not spare you from our crap TV show, which returns on a special day and time, Sunday at 3 p.m. after Liverpool versus City, the game we're actually going to be at. (sighs) And most surprising of all, it's actually an amazing episode. It's your interview with Steve Kerr, Rog. It is a childhood hero of mine. Steve Kerr and I both moved to Chicago, September 1993. Uh, Me to be a British tourist overstaying his visa. Yeah. Steve Kerr to be a uh, member of the future dynastic balls. Uh, So our pathways have definitely differed to sit down with him and talk about empathy, leadership, life and death, as he is able to do, makes it, to me, the best thing I've done this year even though he is a huge Liverpool fan mm. and taught with such admiration about what he's learned from watching Jurgen Klopp and Mo Salah. It's amazing to watch, even though I'm in it, David. Great American. An even better human being. Okay, we've got a pack show breaking down this weekend. Oh, last minute goals, Rog. Liverpool and City. That was an amazing television experience. But first, can you start us off with a toast? Oh, I can, David. I thought you'd never ask. I want to raise my first third Word of the day to the Rugby World Cup, David. Wow. A sport which I believe is going to get bigger and bigger in America. It's a perfect confection for the US viewing mentality, pace, power, constant hard hitting. Sport of the future, future, future. I did love the World Cup. I especially loved the practice of the Japanese players when they were substituted, bowing to the crowd. I hope that catches on in the Premier League. Mm. But I was incredibly moved after the final, which England, I will say, lost to a fantastic South Africa. Fantastic team. In South Africa, rugby was seen as the sport of white power. And they were captained this year by their first ever black captain, Mm -hmm. Sia Khaleesi, who grew up in poverty in a township where he says the only toy he had as a kid was a brick. And after the game, the game of his life, he was about to lift the World Cup that he dreamt of as a kid. But he took time just before that second to address the turmoil his nation is in back home. He said, since I've been alive, I've never seen South Africa like this. And he then went on to thank the most marginal members of society for their support. People in the taverns, in the shabines, in the farms, homeless people. It was the most beautiful, I put it up on my Twitter, the most beautiful human speech I've ever seen, which caused his coach to say, pressure in South Africa is not having a job. It's having friends or family murdered. Rugby is not about pressure. It's about hope. Hope's not a tweet. It's watching the game after and feeling good after, no matter your religious or political differences. For 80 minutes, you agree. Which to me, Davo, when I raise my bud fam, blood fam, to see a Khaleesi, to me, it's everything that's good about the power of sport. Rugby should be bigger in America, Roger. It's certainly big in Japan now. It should be bigger around the world. When we covered Six Nations a few years ago, we were stunned at how little was getting written about that tournament. But this World oh, Cup seems to have broken through. Another a sport which we're holding back. Yep. Okay, <laughs> talking about not holding back. Aston Villa 1, Liverpool 2. Jurgen Klopp's mob win another staring contest against Premier League defeat. The villains grabbed the lead on 21 God. minutes when the Egyptian everyone had score first in this one. Trezeguet slammed home a John McGinn free kick. After spending the better part of the next hour watching chances go begging, Robbo's bullet header finally levelled things on 87 minutes. And in the 94th minute... Of course, who would have ever doubted it? A whipped-in TAA corner found the Senegalese forehead of Sadio Mane, who expertly guided it into the side netting. Well, on the right side of the side netting. Liverpool have not lost in the league in 10 months. 
They stay six points clear atop the table. <sighs> a game that for 86 minutes was like the best episode of Peaky Blinders ever. Yes, even better than that shootout between the Peaky Blinders and the Kimber Gang. But then it just went totally pear-shaped. 21st minute, Liverpool switch off at a free kick. Egyptian Trezeguet yeah. stabs that ball home. Fourth straight game, Liverpool have gone behind. An amazing statistic. What was amazing, Liverpool didn't seem panicked. With Fabinho rested and the definitely weaker Lalana. They definitely lacked the forward thrust, but they still had chances. Bobby Firmino, the goal that was notched off by Vardavo for being a millimetre, the width of a neck tattoo. I think they officially said armpit offside. You know who was running VAR on Saturday? Who? It was Mike Dean. Oh, Mike Dean. He loves <laughs> oh, he loves being God. He actually thinks he is God. Oh, okay, boomer. Mike Dean. He, Mike Dean is the latest proof that all people should not be let anywhere near technology. But VAR or no VAR, Liverpool's passing in the final third. They just seemed different in this game. It wasn't sharp. It wasn't cutting. It was ill-judged. It was ill-placed. It didn't look like Liverpool, did it? Well, it does look a bit like the Liverpool we've seen over the last few weeks, where Liverpool are, are sort of lack this incisive threat for long, long spells of football games. Klopp said about the first half, I didn't like the body language. We're not like warriors. We were just like players, which players. is a, a beautiful, beautiful framing. And credit Villa, they didn't go into their shell. They stayed organised. They stayed disciplined with the excellent John McGinn driving Villa forward. They hurt Liverpool. They could have made it 2-0 through Hurahan, 77 minutes. Klopp through on Ox and Origi. And I will say, I did shudder when those two men trotted on so many bad memories of them hurting opponents with their shoulders, with their <laughs> nipples, with their butt. I mean, those guys can just buttock the ball in. But this game, David, it did feel different. When Liverpool went 1-0 down to Spurs, you knew they were going to come back and win. Felt inevitable. But in this game, Liverpool looked so dead-legged. They looked so devoid of energy in the final. It felt different. I did begin to feel Villa were going to pull off the shock. Did you not? Well, no, for me, it's like the ending of a James Bond movie where you've got James Bond, some, you know, billionaire in his lair, in some sort of bizarre sort of, you know, Kim Jong-un suit, has James Bond tied up and he's got him tied up. He's got him surrounded. And all you're thinking, if you want to be on the side of the villains, Rog, is just like, shoot him in the head right now. Just shoot him in the head. You want to end him. And instead, he sets a timer for 60 seconds. He puts him over the shark-infested pool and he says, in 60 seconds, Mr. Bond, you will be fed to the shark. Set your cat down now. Of course, not knowing that Q, or whatever his name is, has given James Bond a special watch where he can set an explosion to hit 59 seconds. And if he's in the center of the explosion, it won't affect him. It'll only kill everything else around him, including uh, said shark-infested Sharks. So, so, so you, what are a, you saying? Dean Smith should have just shot him. Yeah, he should have shot him. What are you doing just with the shot shark? Instead, Dean they Smith. tried to go and do the whole Why tying him up with the shark. Why are you strapping Liverpool just, down to the board and letting a laser beam just, slowly move yes, up to Liverpool's yes, testicles? Exactly. You get Shoot me. Shoot him you while you me. got him. No laser beams. No, no testicles. No shark-infested waters. Just let, just let him have it. I've got to say, I felt differently because as the clock ticked down. I was desperately resisting the urge to jump into that shared WhatsApp group that my kids and I have with my brother Nige, the one that he calls Everton our sh I tried not to even think about it, I to mean, be fair honest. Enough. I didn't want to curse Villa. <laughs> and then J-Dub sent me an email uh -huh. with a bunch of jokes, which I opened. Yeah, while he was running the marathon, probably. Uh, the first joke was, 
Villa's win, the biggest Dean Smith win since UNC won the national championship in 93. I laughed at that one. Yeah. I laughed harder at this one. Biggest Dean Smith win that didn't involve a Chris Webber timeout. Yeah. And then I laughed and then that laugh stuck in my throat. I didn't even really have time to laugh. Actually, by the way, in between my not laughing <laughs> and what happened next, ESPN, ESPN, if you're listening, stop it! Stop it! Because ESPN posted a match report mourning Liverpool's first loss of the season. Headline, Villa's giant killing. They, you can score too early and you can post a Liverpool defeat match report too early, ESPN. You can. You can. So you're basically blaming this week, JW. Yeah, definitely. ESPN. Chung bastard. ESPN. Chung legged bastard. And your brother, Nigel. ESPN. I mean, I don't mind ESPN <laughs> and doing... I don't mind ESPN <laughs> doing the political stuff. Fear into yeah. politics, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's when they post Liverpool match reports too early. That is the line they should not be crossing. And my brother's just my brother. God love him. Yeah. I learned my lesson on that WhatsApp group before. Yeah. God love him. Yeah. Because what followed next after I read, bizarrely posted early, the ESPN match report, morning Liverpool's first loss of the season, Villa's giant killing. What followed next was miraculous, like resurrection level miraculous. Mane swung in an arcing cross. Andy Robertson, five foot ten. So he claims, mm -hmm. I believe, five foot, eight in heels. Yeah. It's I bet you leg. Jim Candy Robertson wears lifts. No, maybe. I love those ads for those shoes that yeah. like, lift you up. Yeah. Tiny little Andy really Robertson, but laugh. normal size when he slips those lifts yeah. into his pumas. He charged past his mark, El Ghazi, who'd switched off, swooped in for the kill as he'd later tweet, scoring is the new assist. So good at football, Andy Robertson. So good at Twitter. And I say a 1-1 draw. I would have bitten your arm off for that. It would have meant Liverpool had dropped four points in three games with City charging in next Sunday. <sighs> but Villa standout McGinn later described what happened after that goal. He said, Liverpool mentally drain the life out of you. And mentally, to me, David, was the important word. They don't do it tactically. They don't do it physically. But like the great Barcelona and Spain sides of the early part of this decade, they just exhaust the mental energy of their opponents. You know, if you've ever read any of these books written by, you know, soccer statisticians about Paul sort of... Carr. Yeah, trying to... Well, no, not Paul Carr. I'm <laughs> talking about the people who write about <laughs> he the doesn't sort know of, about words. You know, he only the knows tactical about numbers. statistics. And they try and analyse soccer and bring sense to soccer by talking about actions in a game and scoring actions in a game. And what Liverpool do throw at you is so many players who can contribute major scoring actions. Like, you've still got TAA. You know, I know, I always laugh that, you know, I've spoken about it with you, that how loudly Everton fans cheer a corner. They love a corner. <sighs> they feel like every corner is basically a goal, as far as they're concerned. And yet they very rarely score from corners, in my observation <laughs> of them throughout their history, since Duncan, what's his name, left. And the... Um, Ferguson. Yeah, that one. But uh, Liverpool, every time TA steps up to go and like put it in there, you feel like, oh, they may score from this corner. They've got so many players who can contribute a moment of quality at any point in the game. That's why I always think they're going to win. 94th minute, yeah. that corner swung in. Mane, what a goal. What a goal. What a header. Running towards the ball. Yeah. And then clipping it away from the direction you're running. From outside the frame of the goal. We've always talked about how that is such a difficult, difficult header to score. To clip that header, which is coming into you from one side, yeah. you're running the opposite direction. Yeah. The ball's swinging in from another direction and you're clipping it right 
at an acute angle that must be so difficult to compute in that instant, Davo. Yeah. And he did it perfectly. Yeah. Perfectly. It was yeah. astonishing. Origi shouting at him, use your shoulder. Nipple it in. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing, man? Getting a clean header on yeah, that. Exactly. I mean, it was stunning feelings where professional football players, world elite football players are reduced to just kids on a schoolyard. If you look at it, just the Liverpool players, they, that moment where you realize they are playing the game for joy and they all just madly run around headlessly in different directions because they're all overwhelmed by the most profound human feeling. Jurgen Klopp called it the best possible emotion in football. And it was wondrous, David, unless you're an Aston Villa fan for whom it was utterly shattering. Or a Man City fan or a Southampton fan. I mean, it's and especially (sighs) if you're watching the Man City, if you've just watched the Man City game end, you finally watch them come back. You finally watch them figure out how to go and win three points and you feel like they're going to get close on the table and then they don't. So situationally, contextually, it was the most remarkable comeback. Incredible for Liverpool. Off their game in this one for almost all of their game. They woeful decision-making. Mo Salah having a rough patch. Mane admitted this was the toughest game of the season so far. Yet in the last eight minutes, the muscle memory, that mentality monster muscle memory kicked in and they were able to summon two goals. To me, through sheer force of will, they go behind and they do not lose. The journalist Daniel Storey noted that Liverpool's record since January after conceding the first goal of the game is 1-6, drawn one, lost none. Astonishing. Think of the late goals against Leicester City, against Tottenham, and now Villa. When teams are leading going into the final minutes, they still fear Liverpool, the myth of fear that Manchester it United matter used to have their best. It's the tenacity yeah. of champions. It doesn't matter what minute you score against Liverpool. You've scored too early, is what you're saying. <sighs> it's astonishing. Yeah. It is utterly... You literally can only score at the final whistle against Liverpool. It's the only effective <sighs> time to score. For Aston Villa, yeah. they've now dropped 11 points from winning positions this season. Yeah, I'd just say, it. Villa fans, I've been there. I know how it feels. When Liverpool do you, it's a shattering darkness in which it feels like there's no justice. There's no truth. Justice and truth have been snatched from your hands and destroyed before your very eyes. They have. They have. The only conclusion you can draw is there is no hope in this world. Embrace that POV, Villa fans. It's very liberating. GFOP at Red Veal tweeted in, we tried for your Rog. That said, of all these morale-building performances against big six clubs, Villa are currently top of the Premiership at a boy table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. And still above Everton in the stands. Oh, um, in the face! Yeah. Meanwhile, Rog, uh, over in Manchester, Manchester City 2, Southampton 1. Another impending shock result turned dramatic last-minute comeback. Did ESPN uh, blog about this one as well? <laughs> this one started with the Saints fresh off last week's 9-0 shellacking at home to Leicester. Taking the lead over the defending champs when James Ward-Prowse pounced on an Edison error in the 13th minute, but a 70th minute Sergio Aguero goal. Wow, what a footballer. An 86th minute winner. A really well-taken goal from Kyle Walker, of all people. Rescue victory and keep Pep's men just six points back. After that 9-0 bare bum spanking by Leicester, oh, Southampton had to travel to Manchester City, a team who'd already blasted 49 goals this season. We often talk about teams settling for a point before kickoff. Mm. Do you not think Southampton would have bitten your hand off for a 5-0 defeat yeah, before this Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, marked improvement. 4-0 yeah, maybe. Yeah, 4 maybe. That's, that's 4-0. Better, than just, 100%, better than 100% improvement. Lads, let's just go out there and try and keep it relatively respectable. Yeah. 
Premier League writers, though. Oh, you Premier League writers. Whoa. You never fail to keep us in check. So on 30 minutes, the shocking twist they came up with this week, David, what did they do? Edison, they revealed he's not a droid. He's human after all, David. Yeah. Bobbling Armstrong's low drive. James Ward-Prowse, barrister's son. James Ward-Prowse, he's one of your type, Dave. No, I love it. Smacked home the rebound. He would be captain of the posh England 11. 1-0 to the posh. <laughs> and City then yeah. toiled. Southampton yeah. defended deeply. They summoned the discipline. To be honest, they summoned the pride, yeah. which was astonishing in this one. And if there's one ground in the Premier League where the fans don't exactly get behind you when you're trailing 1-0. i got to tell you, it's a bit like Chelsea. Chelsea is the same way. Is that when the, when you're down, if, when Liverpool and are down weary, at Anfield, and you, you feel like the hand. crowd are going to help you. i got to tell you, at Man City and at Chelsea, you don't get a lot of help from the crowd when you're 1-0 down. Yeah, I mean, City didn't exactly whip the crowd into a frenzy. Yeah, they didn't right. muster a shot on goal until the 70th minute. But when they did, it was a dinger. Kyle Walker to Aguero to fire stunningly home. Ninth goal of the season, off just 10 shots on target. Cunaguero is an economist's dream. Well, I mean, Cunaguero, I think he's now just short of being the leading one-club goal scorer in the history of the Premier League. For goal scorers who've only stayed at one club for their entire career, Thierry Henry leads the list. And think about how amazing Thierry Henry is. <sighs> think about how many great players played and stayed at one club and scored their goals there. Cenk Tosin. He's, he's in one club. He's certainly he's never going to play in another club he's in the Premier there. League. The, um, he might not be in the Premier League for long run. He, must be he might not be in the Premier League. Um, but an amazing goal. What a winner. And Southampton came within four minutes of leaving with the win of their own, Davo, which would have been one point. But in the 86th minute, Carl Walker, your best walker, since Texas Ranger, I can roundhouse kick you into yesterday, slid in, finished dashingly with his left foot, charged away with joy. How happy were you for Kyle David? Because he's had a rough 12 months, hasn't he's he? He's had a rough 12 months, dropped from the England side, lots of bad things happened to had him. Had City players signed to challenge him. Yeah. Had Pep ask him to play more in the centre of the field and down the flank and outed himself as hashtag team bald. So this goal, it must have felt incredibly redemptive for him. Yeah, I sort of had a feeling that when he was going in to hit it, he was imagining going in for a really late tackle because it was that sort of a finish from Carl Walker. He, he sort of got in. Great to take that ball out. He hit it the way that he usually hits opposing wingers. It was an amazing uh, finish. But Carl hit, I didn't know he could hit a ball that hard. I knew he could hit an ankle or a knee or a foot, but not a, uh, not a football. One big question about Carl Walker, though, seriously. Yeah. I mean, we know Pep likes to confuse his opponents by having his players be bald one match, mm -hmm. then fully and miraculously haired the next. How has Carl Walker not been forced to have a hair transplant yet? Huh. Help him go, you know, I expect him to trot out against Liverpool next level with flowing locks, ginger flowing locks. I mean, had the uh, transplant seeded with the produce of KDB's armpit growth. Are you thinking that Pep will make him do that? Yeah, to like keep those teams off balance. It's not about formation. It's possible. Pep does look increasingly unhinged on the sideline. I can imagine Pep giving any kind of advice to Carl Walker. He did look unhinged. Oh my word, I'm, wor I'm worried about Pep. Yeah, with Steve Kerr, we talked to Steve Kerr about different kinds of football coaches that... There's Klopp, all just out, charisma, and then there's Pep, repressed, keeping it all in. And we talked to Steve Kerr about how he wishes he was a clock, but he's really a pep. And I've always believed that pep and clock were actually polar opposites. But in this game, the theatrics, the repressed pep's gone. He used to be so cool. It's, it's, this is manic professor pep. Yeah. He's just absolutely just like so animated 
And that's what this title race has done to him. They were six points back at Liverpool, heading to Anfield on Sunday. We will be there. I'll be wearing my Everton underpants. I will say Pep and Klopp's mind game is crazy. <laughs> they must oh. really smell at this point. That's what Everton <laughs> means. It's like it's, it's what's implicit in the... Uh, well, I got sewn into them only three weeks ago, mate. They're relatively fresh. Yeah. The game was nil-nil Anfield last season. Do City have to win this one, David? I mean, it really depends how you view what Liverpool are doing. And I think there are two ways of viewing it. One way of viewing it is this is what champions do. They're winning all these close games and therefore it is inevitable. They will continue to win games exactly like this the rest of the season. The other way to look at it is to say, you know what? Liverpool are riding their luck a little bit. This won't continue to happen. And Liverpool are going to have to start playing better football in order to go and overcome. I don't think City have to win it, but I think they've got to compete with them. I think actually a draw is, to me, the most likely result. And I think that would be a pretty good result for both teams. So much football to come. I will say, when Liverpool were 1-0 down right, this so weekend, and the clock was ticking and City went ahead, and they were just three points behind Liverpool, with Liverpool coming in the next game, and the commentator was like, this Anfield game is going to be a cracker. I will say, for just one minute, the whole world felt so very different. Let's not discount my beloved Chelsea from the title race. Watford won, Chelsea two. Frank Lampard's daycare centre, all those babies, Rog. They win their fifth league game on the spin. They started the scoring in the fifth minute when a heat-seeking Jorginho ball, what a pass, Rog, <sighs> found a streaking, not literally, Tammy Abraham, <laughs> who scored his ninth of the season. Christian Pulisic, America. Heard of him, America. Good morning, the America. Lead. The young sensation is turning a nation. Yeah. in the Premier League. And we've got live on today's show, Christian Pulisic. <laughs> Christian. Yes, phoning in from Stanford. Yeah. What is he doing in St Stanford Bridge? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, Stanford Bridge. Yeah, he doubled the lead in the 55th minute. We'll talk more about that goal. Glatching onto a cross from the aforementioned Abraham. The Orns pulled one back through a VAR-induced oh. D penalty and in the dying embers with QSF and co for searching for an equalizer Watford keeper Ben Foster made his way forward and sent a diving header oh. towards the bottom corner only to have Kepa claw it out great save and preserve the points Chelsea stay two points off City Chelsea Football Club Oh, aka the Premier League sweet life of Zach and Cody made yeah. real. Yeah. I, I used to love that show. I used to oh, watch mate, it with my daughter. That's why I think when I watch Chelsea, it's yeah. just like everything at Stamford Bridge mm. is just full on Tipton Hotel for them right now. Yeah, Sesame Street. That opening goal, that ball from Jorginho, that finish from Tammy. I mean, Chelsea fans watching. That whole move could have made them instantly pregnant, couldn't it, Dave? I'm not a medical doctor, but I'm pretty sure. I'm, pretty sure. I'm not sure I remember a player going in just one season, going from being a a fan, sort of a villain of the fans, to being a fan favorite <sighs> in the way that Jorginho has gone. Jane Tosin. And not a player who didn't, who barely performed or barely played. So like Jane Tosin. We're looking at a player who played week in, week out. We got to see him a lot last season and pretty much everybody agreed Jorginho is not that good. And then this season, the new Jorginho, Jorginho reborn to be king of the babies um, uh, by Frank Lampard. He's just spectacular. He plays so well week in, week out. And he does the little stuff well. He does the unglamorous stuff so well. This pass, though, it was Fabregasi, Rog. It was a Fabregasi pass into the path of Tammy Abraham, swerved around a defender. First it sort of time. moved like the golden snitch. First time. Yeah. To Amazing uncork ball. that 
is to transcend time and space for that. Yeah. It was astonishing. I'm not even sure he looked up. I had to watch it again to see if he meant it. I thought he might have been trying to do something else entirely. He was trying to pass it backwards. I don't know what he was trying to do. He did what he did last season. I love that pass. Yeah. And by the way, American, young American players who are listening to this podcast. Yeah. Just go out and practice passing into space like that. Yeah. It's exactly, I mean, we're so big on the nutmegs now. And, yeah. How about and, a long uh, ball? And just, yeah. That kind of ball into space is yeah. what the game needs. I, I also love the finish, the way Tammy used his body to confuse finish. the goalkeeper and clip the ball home. Yeah, Thanks he's got the a lot of body. The commentator said, oh, if a simple finish. It, it, to me, it, it was, was far from it. It was brilliant. But overall, Dave, I couldn't agree with you more. To hear Chelsea fans sing so delirious that they chant, Jorginho all the way through the game and to see that man assert himself as a leader yeah. is to me the ultimate testimony of Frank Lampard's Chelsea I just thought what an amazing world we live in and the only other player I can think of who's redeemed himself season to uh, season like that is a player called Kovacic yeah to some extent Kovacic he's playing very very well this season um, as two well. jokes absolutely sorry what are you yeah. doing and then now totally. absolutely <sighs> Then. I wonder what the common denominator is here that we're looking at. <laughs> oh, maybe it's Maurizio Sarri. Maybe. Oh, maybe it's just that Christian Pulisic's aftershave is like just right. in that locker room. You're right. They're just sprinkling it on yeah. and it's like holy water. Oh, let's give the opponents their full name though, Dave, yeah. in this one. Winless Watford. Yeah. They were game though. They, they really were. were. Game. I gotta say, Ben Foster, magnificent. Yeah. Uncorking world-class save after world-class save. Yeah. Seems to have been especially motivated by spite, that desire to snuff out the redemption of a young American godhead. Oh, because every time our Lord and Saviour, see Pulisic, just shot on goal, Ben Foster just stepped up to go above and beyond. But the longer that game went on, the more Chelsea midfield took a stranglehold. And on the 55th minute, Davo, it was Hershey kiss time. Yeah, and it was a lovely move. Uh, ends up releasing Abraham down the <sighs> right. And I actually loved seeing this. Tammy Abraham... Your striker puts the assist into the guy who's assisting everybody else and sets up Christian Pulisic. But it wasn't like put on a plate for him. This was yes. a goal that if any of you have ever played centre forward or ever played centre back trying to defend centre forwards, this was a quality centre forward like, not winger finish, running to the near post, getting around his man, finishing it so sweetly. Um, I was very impressed with this goal. I thought it was better than any of the goals he scored, maybe bar the header and his hat-trick. It's nice to be able to talk about which of the collection, which of yeah, the body of, of the work of goals. Pulisic do we like the yeah. best. I love the run. I love the run. It was a Pulisic. great run. I mean, to me, that is what sets Should give Chris... him a goal for the run. If he played for Everton, yeah. we would. <laughs> yeah, we exactly. would. Come to Everton, yeah. Christian. It's where you get goals for just doing vaguely what they call Arsenal. Yeah. Doing bits. Yeah. <laughs> just do some bits. Run on that field. Do some bits. It's what sets him apart to me from other American players. His awareness of space, his ability to mine crevices of space in that area. Here, he made a run in front of his marker. Yeah. And then across him, losing him outside yeah. in, finding the ball from the cross to ram it home. Could have actually had two more goals in this one, but for the majestic foster for the people. And he just seems like a different human being. Watching his whole countenance on the field. If you remember the Carabao bit player, Pulisic, that we saw about a month ago, he's now oozing with confidence. Mm -hmm. He feels he belongs. And we talked about how far down the depth chart Christian was, even like a month ago. Mm -hmm. Now do you kind of feel that even when N'Golo Kante comes back this week, 
it could be Mason Mount or Willian who's going to get jettisoned. Well, he's not going to change his formation and it's only Hudson Odoi or Pedro who's going to threaten Christian Pulisic's position because he's not going to stop playing that 4-3-3. So I don't think it matters what happens with Kante or even Ruben Loftus-Cheek when he comes back. I think he's seeing off him and Willian are the presumed starters right now. And Hudson Odoi is going to have to do a Pulisic and come in and do something very, very well during a Champions League game or when he comes on as a substitute to to unseat him. I think he's in a very, very good position right now. Pulisic left the field after 82 minutes, having scored the decisive goal and found the back of the net four times in the last two games. He could have had, as I say, a couple more in this one, but it was enough for Chelsea fans traveling Chelsea fans to serenade him with a chant of USA, 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 which is only slightly hyperbolic for me to say that in this crazy tumultuous world, Christian Pulisic is probably amongst America's greatest instruments of soft power right now. And I'm genuinely delighted for him. Went a bit wobbly late on, Dave. A crazy VAR decision on Dale Lefeo in the box. I mean, here's the weird thing is, yeah, I think it was a crazy VAR decision. Nothing clear and obvious about it. But in a in a weekend of so many crazy VAR decisions, I'm not sure even if it ranks top three. It's like it, it's so bizarre what's going on. VAR is becoming is is becoming almost a random effect. It's kind of like it's kind of like on that old game show. What was it called? Press your luck, and you've got to figure out the sequence of VAR about when to press the button in order to make it make some kind of a sense. I am genuinely waiting for BuzzFeed or somebody to find out that Vladimir Putin has had some hand <laughs> in the creation of VAR as a way to just ferment Discord yeah. and destabilize. Yeah, it's the run by TikTok. Genuinely, yeah. it's like having that. Like it's just making your brain at this point yeah. completely synapse. And I do imagine we say it's Mike Dean in the yeah. VAR. I think Mike Dean may be yeah. getting from. From the Kremlin that yeah. let us F with them. Let's yeah. say it's a penalty this time. Then yeah. we're going to say it's not a penalty. Yes. It's like a random button. And there is no better way. This Bre- Brexit kind of pushes England to the teetering edge. Yeah. But I will say VAR will just, just implode the nation. Yeah, VAR is basically, it's the robots taking over. It's AI. It's AI. We are basically being run by AI. If it is Putin, it is a genius, <laughs> genius move. At 2-1, oh, Kepa. God, that... I love a goalkeeper on goal. Can I just say, I do. I love it. It's like a pitcher home run. It's more than that. It's like a pitcher inside the park home run because it's that rare. The 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 goalkeeper running keeper up. Keeper on keeper violence. Yeah, I love keeper yeah. on keeper. And a fantastic, fantastic parry. I think J-Dub sent me a stat that says Ben Foster has now had more shots on target than Jesse Lingard this season, which made it even more <laughs> hilarious. But despite the little wobble at the end, Chelsea, terrific. Seventh straight away win, all comps, a Chelsea record. They keep cruising in fourth, just two points behind Manchester City. Six point cushion opened up now between them and fifth place Arsenal. It is a fairy tale story of dreams, David. I just say one thing we don't say enough is that Kepa's name is basically Keeper, which still makes me laugh every time I see him on the uh, on the on, on the team sheet. Secondly, I thought you know Chelsea lost in midweek in the Carabao Cup to Manchester United. A lot of people said, "Oh, is this where it's all going to start unwinding and falling apart for United?" I think what Frank Lampard did very smartly is rotated the squad in midweek. Got actually a pretty good performance, even though they lost to United playing very well. United played all their starters, played a very different team. He blooded more babies, even more babyish babies played against United. Babies have it's babies. just very good. It Where creates it more, stop? creates more squad competition, binds them all together a little bit more. And what a job he's doing, how fun they are to watch. A little shout out for me, because I love 
watching Tamori and Zuma play every week. I don't think they're going to stop teams from scoring, but they're so fun to watch play and building this partnership. Few centre-back pairings, more entertaining than Zuma and Tamori in football right now. Matt Miazga would disagree. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Arsenal <laughs> won. Wolves won, Rog. An Arsenal team determined to quell the acrimony nice. at the Emirates. Took the lead on 20 minutes via... Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, a very weird target of Arsenal fans' eye, by the way. But after a series God. of switch-offs, they were punished by CONCACAF zone. Raul Jimenez, who dunked on Callum Chambers 14 minutes from time to level the score. Arsenal remain in fifth place, Rog. That's good. Yeah. Despite taking just two points in their last three games. I, mean, I don't know where to begin here. Arsenal Football Club, yeah. who threw away 3-1 and 4-2 and 5-4 leads to Liverpool in the Carabao Cup defeat midweek. Yeah. At this point, they are less a football club every week. They are more a reality TV show. It's if like the whole organization just said, let's stop trying to win trophies and let's become a content machine aiming to just flood the zone with storylines. Because when you look Isn't back... Isn't that what they've always been? When you look back at it, now nah, it's gone next level. Because you look back at this, I, it can't be too long before Arsenal signed Jake and Logan Paul just for the clicks, David. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, in case you missed this week in Real Housewives of oh. Arsenal, episode 11... It all began at the top. Stan Kroenke was in London last week to watch the Rams, but then didn't stick around to watch Arsenal. Nobody told him he owned a football <laughs> I club. I know, that's right. Further proof to me, that's him. his storyline. His storyline is he's not quite sure he even owns the team. You yeah. know, the only time we'll actually know he knows he owns the team yeah. is when he tries to relocate them to Los Angeles. <laughs> then Unai Emery, the Rob Kardashian of the whole operation, yeah. who is, according to all insider reports, an object of mirth in the locker room for his accent, good evening, and his tactics, <laughs> overwhelmed by the toxic fan culture that took out Jacka, who's either the Teresa or the Nini leaks or both. He was reportedly still rocked after being booed off against Crystal Palace. Emery said to Xhaka, Davo, and why he didn't make the squad for this one, we need time to recover the normality in him and for us. Didn't he I, say recover? I say recovering the normality <laughs> for Arsenal. Let's be honest, David. Recovering the normality for uh, yeah. Arsenal. That could take years. So in this one, Emery kind of needed to restore order by delivering Arsenal's first victory in four games. Whom did he turn to in his hour of need, Davo? His PR nemesis, his enemy, Meza Ozil. Yeah. M to the OZ, oh. who just played 71 minutes of Premier League football total this season. Mm. Did he just play him so that whatever happened, it would all be Ozil's fault, David? Or maybe mostly Ozil's fault and a little bit Xhaka's. He brought life to Arsenal. He, did. he really did. He at least gave them some forward propulsion that they've missed. And Arsenal did seem at the beginning a team of more life. Lacquer fed Ober in the area. Side-footed the ball home. 50th Arsenal goal in just 78 games. Stealth, monster stats, overshadowed by all the tomfoolery that we've just BSed about. And on this day... For briefly, they felt like a relief. When that ball went in, Liverpool had gone 1-0 down. City were 1-0 down. Somehow, the sound of happy Arsenal fans cheering at the Emirates. Meza Ozil getting a standing ovation as he jogged over to take a corner. It just felt even more surprising than both of the above, David. Yeah, but I refer you to my earlier comments. This is... This isn't James Bond movies, Rod. You've got to shoot your opposing teams in the head in the Premier League because they will come back. The Wolves will come back. I mean, the Wolves will come back. Against Arsenal, everyone comes back because Emery's Arsenal have not earned a lead. They can't fritter away. 
Again, another Daniel Sturry stat. He tweeted, Arsenal have failed to win despite holding a two-goal lead in three of their last 11 matches, which wow. is astonishing. And he even found out before that they'd done, stats it, they they done it. Stats to that. Love how many stats Stats! 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 Before that, they'd done it twice in 370 matches. Whoa, stats! stats. <laughs> and here's the reason, Dave. Yeah. Why it's so exhausting for Arsenal fans because they're playing Wolves at home. And they decided to just seed possession. And the way Emery makes substitutes defenders for attackers when a goal's needed. Yeah. They are, whatever he does just seems to make the teams play worse. They were outshot at home. Mm. And they surrendered the lead. They gave the lead away. Ceballos didn't track. I mean, it was La Liga tracking uh-huh. to give Wolves an equaliser. Uh-huh. And they were left again with Wolves just taunting their Arsenal counterparts by singing, Xhaka's right, your fans are shit. Yeah, and then poor little child... Arsenal fans turning to their dad saying, where even is Wolves? They don't even know where it is. They don't know what it is. They don't understand any of it, Rod. Emery left floundering. It was a bad result, but tactically it worked how we wanted. And astonishing. I mean, that was... (gasps) That was, what a statement. What a statement to wind up a fan base by saying (sighs) he was happy with essentially tactically how it went. I mean, this is manager on the brink season and Emery is the brinkiest manager <laughs> brinkiest. on that brink. He is. That's the one award he's going to win. If I the, won the brinkiest trophy. If the brink had a brink, David, yeah. that's where you'd find Emery. Sunday was his birthday and the club put out a happy birthday Unai Instagram. And I'll just say the thousands of messages underneath tell their own story of the culture of Arsenal football club of a manager who's burnt through his relationship with the fan base. The only message I can actually repeat on this family show is happy birthday, Basque, Dracula, Venga in. <laughs> Do you remember that episode of Blackadder when Blackadder, uh, he uttered the the classic line English comedy, Rowan Atkinson starred in it. Blackadder uttered the line, um, Baldrick, who is his trusted companion, we're in the stickiest situation since Sticky the Stick Insect got stuck on the world's stickiest bun. That's where the brinkiest Unai Emery is right now. Yeah, and I'll say the oddest thing is you've got Arsenal fans now who I know are actually happy about their team's failure because it would mean Emery out. And yes, I can't believe this. All the rumour mills saying, and I really can't believe this, Mourinho in. <laughs> to Arsenal. Mourinho To in. Arsenal of all teams for him to go to. Do you remember all... Oh my word, it would just be... That would be narrative. Then I just give up. There's no it, point in us doing this. We may as well be covering World Wrestling Entertainment. Is this, it's all scripted. Is this, is this, it's all scripted. Is this the Arsenal jump the shark moment? It's the Premier League jumped the shark. It's football has jumped the shark. I mean, I There's think no it's point a, anymore. I'm trying to think of something more shocking to me than Mourinho. To, the only thing I can think about is if someone exhumed Hitler, brought him back to life and made him the Prime Minister of England. But I think even Mourinho <laughs> even to more Arsenal. Li- more likely, I Mourinho, would say, than Mourinho. We came close to that, actually. Yeah. Uh, but Mourinho to Arsenal, to me, is like bad writing more than anything, isn't it? But it would be amazingly entertaining. Uh, it's like Daenerys's ridiculous road turn right at the end yeah. of... Of Game of Thrones. I mean, Stan Kroenke. Could you I know you're just listening. Arsene, just live cam on Arsene the first time he reads that information. <gasps> Stanis Baratheon. Stan Kroenke. I know you're listening to this. Number one, Stan, you own Arsenal Football Club. News to you, but I've got to break Arsenal, it to you. I they can't play stand in North this. London. They play association football. Number two, Stan, watch season eight of Game of Thrones now and realize Mourinho to Arsenal can only end one way with your kingdom turned to ashes. And even Arsenal fan TV burnt down. Bournemouth won. Manchester, too many storylines, Rod. Too many stories, I'm exploding. Bournemouth won. Manchester United, nil. God. It's after they won. Another bad trip. 
on the electric Ole acid test as United fall to the cherries, Rog. And it was one of OGS's own countrymen who did him dirty. Norwegian, former United trainee, Josh King. Doesn't have a Norwegian name, but trust us, he's Norwegian. He's well taken By the way, in Norway, do you think men in blazes in Norway is like, we love Norwegians with foreign sounding names? (laughs) They do. Josh King. Probably. Josh King. Norwegian Norwegian men in blazes. How have we not launched Norwegian men in blazes yet? Norwegian players (laughs) with foreign continental names. Josh Josh King. King. Does not sound Norwegian. He, he, however, he took his goal well on the stroke of halftime, and that was the difference. And thus, United's three-game winning streak in all competitions. <sighs> the revival. United are back. They're back. It's all good. It's swept away <sighs> on the windy South Coast. God, Manchester by the sea returns, David. Yeah. As United's mini revival is just stopped dead in its tracks. In the past seven days, they'd won at Partizan Belgrade. They'd won at Norwich. They'd run at Carabao Cup Chelsea. Mm -hmm. And now we just return to the storyline of their worst start after 11 games in 33 years in the driving rain, in the mud, slipping around. United just seemed bogged down. They were so slow, so ponderous. Honestly, hard to believe it was the same United that just dropped Norwich and Chelsea by playing with pace, moving the ball at speed. Here they were just fractious. They were fragmented. Josh King wielded the dagger, joined United as a 16-year-old, never made it out of the reserves, tossed the ball over his own head, bamboozled Wan-Bissaka, and then thrashed it home unchallenged. I did love Lindelof on this play because Wan-Bissaka got all the Twitter hate, but if you actually watch Lindelof, while Josh King was tossing the ball over his head, it honestly looked like Lindelof was proactively running back to reset for the kickoff even before the ball had gone anywhere near the goal, mm. David. And when this United team go behind, a terrifying part of their new reality is they don't rebound at all. No, you and you don't. They don't look as though they're going to rebound for a second. Even worse for their fans. Six times they've conceded first under Ole. Six times they've lost. In this one, Bournemouth's potent centre halves Nathan Ake and Steve Cook, who at 28 years of age is being talked about as a possible wow. England call-up. God love. They're up to six now. Eddie Howe, let's call them what they are. War cherries. I love the war cherries, Dave. And I love Eddie Howe. I really, the thing I admire about Eddie Howe is he, he believes his ethos is everyone, every individual needs to constantly improve. The club needs to constantly improve all the players. If, it, if you don't want to constantly improve, you are kicked out of Bournemouth. And he believes that constant improvement begins with himself. Six seasons in the top flight. Now that defense that was just like a joke. It was always Bournemouth's mm. defense. He's worked out how to tighten that defense and they were never flustered in this one. But United, what do you see when you watch them, David? Because it's, it's astonishing. You just see something that doesn't make sense. It's like looking at an equation that you just can't figure out. And you understand all the numbers and all the symbols in it, but you just can't figure out how the sum is what it is. It's just... it. It makes no sense. Lost four Premier League games from 11 this season. Scored just 13 goals all season. Seven of those were in blowouts against a little team called Chelsea. Another one, Norwich. All that while the player they discarded as a bust and didn't replace. Big Romelu, Lukaku, banging in goals for Inter Milan. The most damaging reality is Manchester United are also runs this season now. Mm-hmm. Being a United fan, starting to feel like, <sighs> like, like Justin Verlander in the World Series. But every... Yeah single game 
Crystal Palace nil. Leicester two. Brodgers Foxes win their third in a row behind second half goals from square jawed Turkish delight. Shala Shoyunchu, his first for the club. And Jamie Vardy, who proceeded to celebrate his rather phenomenal goal in the most Jamie Vardy fashion ever by flapping his arms like a bird, ostensibly <sighs> mocking Kayla the Eagle. Leicester in third on 23 points. That's one more point than they had at this stage when they won the title. You don't mock Kayla the Eagle, Rog. <sighs> we'll get to Vardy Sally's in a moment, but this one, an epic clash between Roy Hodgson and Brendan Rodgers, my two favourite Liverpool managers of all time. One by a cult first goal from Turkish hero Harry Maguire replacement Shu Yan Chu, who was left completely open, marked by nobody off a corner, jogged in, stooped to kill, and then settled by a phenomenal team goal. Tielemans found Gray, who dummied, combined passes with Vardy mesmerically. The goal of a team that is so well drilled, inventive, just propelled by a shared understanding of their own lethal strengths and their opponent's weaknesses. Vardy, Dave, so impressive. I mean, minutes before this goal, he'd been cleaned out by a savage tackle that would have thrown most players off their game. He didn't moan. He just got his revenge, a league-leading 10th goal of the season, and that mocking Kayla the Eagle Sally that was super necessary. Sometimes, I think Vardy only likes to score goals so he can rub opposing fans' faces in it. If he was foreign, Dave, wouldn't we revere Jamie Vardy? But because he's English, and overtly, not just English, but like Red Bull and vodka working class, Mm. he's seen as lesser. Vardy, slightly foreign sounding name though, I would say. Vardy sounds almost French. A couple of notes on Vardy. One, uh, I really do think that Crystal Palace, at the point that he mocked Kayla the Eagle, should have released the Eagle to attack him. I think that would have been just fiercely entertaining. Um, I think legally they were within their rights. Yeah, probably. I remember watching Jamie Vardy play last season under different management and he just looked like he'd lost a step. I know he's been playing in a different formation. He seemed to sort of didn't seem so happy, wasn't scoring with the regularity that he is this season. But I remember actually thinking to myself, oh, I think he's gone off the ball. It was a, he was so good and now he's not. He's come back this year even stronger, must be Brodgers team talks. But he seems a player completely and utterly reborn. I think two things. Number one, Brodge has got him because Brodge does love to talk about how Brodge improves players. Yeah, and Brodge said after that game, I improved. It's yeah. under me. It was me. You know what, Eddie Howell does? I do it like times a thousand yes. till I die. <laughs> I think what he said was, I have freed Vardy from all of the pressing he used to do. I oh. now just try and have him press one player, but mostly always now try and play That's off the shoulder of the last defender. And then you think about Brodge and you think about Vardy and they must mind meld because both of them only care about one thing, which <laughs> They're is... both psychos. Me, 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 both of them. <laughs> the greatest love of all is yeah. me. I bet you that is both of their favourite. That's They're so both, funny. Do you look at yourself in the mirror and sing Whitney Houston's greatest love too, Jamie? Yeah. I do too, Dana. Do you have a portrait of yourself <laughs> behind you in your living room? Yeah, probably. Oh, some positives on the week though for Roy Hodgson reports he's in talks with Crystal Palace over a new deal that would take him to the age of 73, which was actually 10 years ago. Brendan Rodgers, though, won this one. Pumped the air at the final whistle. I did this! His Leicester, one of the most complete sides in the Premier League, six points clear in third place ahead of Arsenal, who they will host without fear. Without fear, right, David? 
next Saturday. West Ham 2, Newcastle 3. The Toons score more than one goal in a game for the God. first time this season, jumping out to a 3-0 lead that included a former love interest of Brodge, John Joe Shelby, free kick from 35 yards. They were able to hold off a second-half Irons comeback. Newcastle up to 15th, West Ham in 13th, but they haven't won since that victory over United in September. My God, this was a New York Jets of a loss, wasn't it? Yeah. Wasn't it? For West Ham, losing to a team that arguably set out to lose. (laughs) They are the Miami Dolphins of the English Premier League. This was humiliating at home. I mean, this even more humiliating was that West Ham looked so good in September. We were we were lionizing them. Yeah. Only to have that inconsistency that seems baked into their DNA return. This loss has just got bookies upping the odds that anthropomorphic cigarette Manuel Pellegrini may soon be gone. And in this season of managers in crisis, somehow, somehow, he's leaped over Ole, Marco Silva, Potch, even Emery, essentially everyone, bar Klopp, Super Frank, Pep and Chris Wilder as having one foot out the door. And the sad thing is there wasn't even a riot at the London Stadium, <laughs> Roger. Nobody seemed to care. Brighton 2, Norwich nil. BHA move into eighth behind goals from Genk reared Leandro Trossard. And the best thing out of Derry since Aaron Quinn, Shane Duffy. The goals are one of the low-key storylines of the season, Rog. Yeah, I mean, Brighton and the Graham Potter are the feel-good story of the season that no one's talking mm-hmm. about because we're too busy talking about the real housewives of Arsenal. So yeah. far, they're in eighth. Oh, but here's your dark, injury-stricken canary stat of the week. This is the first time beautiful, beautiful, noble Norwich City have failed to score in six straight-away games since May 1992, three massive relegation six-pointers for Norwich in the next four games. They're playing Watford, Everton and Southampton. They should get some joy out of those games, Rog, <laughs> one in particular. Sheffield United 3, Burnley nil. an emphatic Blades win over the Clarets at Bramall Lane, a double from Everton Academy product John Lundstrom. <sighs> and a th- you let him go. And a third from John Fleck moved the Blades into sixth place, Rog. They haven't lost in four games. Cause for Chris Wilder's mob to be popping lagers post-game. Mate, so many lagers. I mean, sixth place, Sheffield United. Sheffield United, sixth place. Even my son George, who's followed the Premier League for like two seasons, is like, it's pretty remarkable that Sheffield United are in sixth place having just come up this year. Has George got a uh, 100% Blades tattoo yet? Yeah, no, we'll get him one. We'll oh, mate, I, I will say you should get face. one behind his forehead. Yeah. Dad, I had to. I couldn't not. I mean, the amazing thing about it, no scrappy miracle. I mean, the Blades play planful, organised, controlled football. As an Everton fan, I aspire to that. Overlapping centre-backs. As a US fan, I aspire to it. This was their fifth clean sheet of the season leak the joint lease goals all season and the goals they score movement pace intelligent passing the vision of lease Mousset who after scoring back-to-back games have three assists in this one and the finishes by John Lundstrom just collective football a wonder all hail local boy done good Chris Wilder manager of the year so far for me Everton won oh. Tottenham won a game so honestly Roger of all around darkness and not just for you Roger, a Harry Kane-less Spurs took the lead on 63 minutes through Delhi's nice finish, but 15 minutes later, an absolutely horrific moment when Sun's technical foul on Andre <laughs> Gomez sent the Portuguese into Serge Aurier, which left his ankle sickeningly and visibly oh. out of place and broken. Sun, who was so distraught, was sent off, hard to figure, and in the 97th minute, Everton found an equaliser through Cenk Tosin. Who else? Bizarre. Who else? 
Uh, I mean, there's a lot to break down in this game. All of it darker than the last. But this was like this is like the Tracy Chapman fast car derby. I, I just before the game, and I didn't feel myself. I felt only I'm not only so excited to watch Everton, so I can have my weekend ruined. But I felt only dread before this one. I mean, to me, both teams are so alike in terms of just the dreams. The shattered aspirations. Everton ended up having lost five of the last six. Spurs hadn't won on the road since January. And I just felt I just felt like an existential dread. Like both teams were about to step into the ring and fight with themselves because they're so cut from the same cloth of self-loathing and fated doom. At Hogalomo6 tweeted, I would equate watching this game to the end of old Yeller, with both teams being the dog. And Spurs, oh, they were poor. Without Harry Kane, out with a virus, shorn of his threat. Everton, they tried. There was passion. There was hustle. Though all mm. of that fell apart in the final third. Spurs, though, were catatonic. Just seemed like a cripple by a lack of belief or a lack of caring. I don't, I don't know which it is, David. Do you have a sense? Hard to tell. I mean, look, this game was however bad you thought it was going to be going into it. And even before we get to that, you know, horrendous incident towards the end of the match. I'm not talking about the VAR incident, which was also horrendous, but the, you know, the, the the tackle on Gomez. This was a really hard game to watch. It almost made you like not like football. It was both teams so ill-tempered, both t- teams so unsyncopated, both teams, for me, lacking passion. I think it's more remarkable from Tottenham, even though Everton were playing at home, because Tottenham, we remember this Spurs team and how they play football and how they've played football under Mauricio Pochettino. The pressing, the organisation, those quick passes. I remember watching them play Chelsea a few times over the last few seasons live and being blown away by their speed of movement, by their incredible first touch. They've like played them off the park again and again and again. And now it's just so slow. It's so laborious. They look like a team who've decided that that insipid Champions League loss will just, let's just make that the achievement of our lifetimes. We're just going to tap out. The talking points of the first half were just psychotropic refereeing decisions by Mm. Martin Atkinson, which would be even more so in that second half. And in that second half, first Spurs took the lead, a Wobi, reckless in possession, in a dangerous area. Delhi played in. And for just the second time this season, David, he's going to go. To be fair to Awobi, it was his best pass of the night. It was oh. like perfectly delivered. Um, a player who's played well for your Everton, Rog, it was a shame it was him who gave the ball yeah, away. Yeah, but when it, you saw his poor little face as, as Delhi celebrated with his asleep on the floor, sad nap, Sally, yeah. just Awobi pulling his shirt over his head made it even more savoury a sight for, for Spurs fans, the ex-Arsenal player yeah. leading to the goal they thought had taken the points for them. And the poor player standing there in astonishment, just a moment of realisation. You can take the boy out of Arsenal, Davo. You can't take the Arsenal out of the boy. Credit Delhi, it was a good finish. He had quite a lot to do once he got the ball and cut inside, unleashed a very, very good shot past tiny little cute Jordan Pickford. And then it became just one terrible VAR decision after another in this one, Davo. A Spurs penalty not given, an Everton penalty bewilderingly not given for the alley handball. I don't know if we need to break them down, but I'll just say when two teams are bleeding in confidence, VAR only reinforces just the sheer bewilderment of the spectacle. Yeah, I mean, there are two things going on with VAR and without getting too much into the specifics, because this is, we're seeing that I'd rather talk about like the larger VAR issues than the individual VAR issues. But 
One thing that's really hard to explain is how long it's taking to make these decisions. Oh my God. It takes away from the clear and obvious. And the second thing is that despite the fact that these decisions are taking a long time, that they've stopped the game in order to do it, we at home, the fans in the stadium, the players in the pitch, the managers, get no explanation whatsoever as to what's going on. Very unlike Rugby Union, Rog, where you get a very clear explanation from the ref. You actually hear the conversation between ref and, and their version of VAR because they're all mic'd up and you hear both sides of that conversation and you just have no idea what's going it's on. And I'd love to hear. Befuddling human discretion in the application of this technology. I will say I noted in this one, the feeling a fan experiences when a VAR check decides no penalty against their team. It's a completely new one in football. It's not a joy. It's more a sickening relief of a bullet dodge. I've not experienced that feeling in football before. Yeah. Everton looked like, and it should have been to me, they gave away a penalty Yeah, and they, they took forever. And then they say no penalty. It's not a joy you feel. You just feel the incredible relief of a bullet dodge. And then the complete opposite, when you think you are going to get a penalty and you've got that tension bed, you've got that, it's, it's like... It's like producing millionaire. You put the tension bed in, you sort of, you tease the reveal of the answer and it ends up being whole no penalty. New football emotions that led to Everton fans spending pretty much the majority of the second half chanting VAR, which is so modern football. But the game was not done. Just when I thought it was as dark as it possibly could be, it devolved into new levels of darkness. The tactical foul by Sun, can we call it that? Yeah, I think you can call it a tactical foul. I mean, we don't know exactly what the players was thinking. You know, not by any by any observation, by any account, a dirty player, a dirty Premier League player, actually sort of quite a lovely man, son. Fouls Gomez as he's, as he's you know, running away, skipping away down the left sideline. Thematic contact from Aurier. Well, I think that there was there was some... He fell badly on the ground and then he goes in, then there's added contact from Aurier. He fell awkwardly. Ended up landing unbelievably off balance at a frightening pace. Yeah. Unable to break his fall. That leg bent backwards in a way that was kind of like Joe Theismann, mm. Kevin Ware level sickening. I just say Son, to me, is a he's a fantastic human being. And the second he realized the chain reaction of his tackle, he broke down on the field, sobbing, mm. inconsolable. The incident clearly gonna haunt him. Some Everton fans think there's been too much reporting on how much it's upset. Son and he's almost become the victim and and Gomez has been written out of it but I found his reaction to be beautifully human amidst the darkness of of, of the day mm. even as the referee reacted to the injury by upgrading the original yellow to a red yeah which was very confusing it's like an emotional decision it's which, since been revoked yeah I also say Gomez is a noble human being he, he underwent ankle surgery yesterday by all reports successful he's a gent who has always seemed to understand very quickly and appreciate everything that's special about Everton Football Club. And I just wish him, I wish him courage. I wish him strength. And I look forward to having him back on the field as soon as is humanly possible. These kind of injuries, David, the graphically horrific injury, they can destroy a team. I mean, it can knock the stuffing right out of a club. In the long term, Arsenal fans, you remember 2008, Eduardo De Silva. Yeah. Arsenal five points clear at the top of the Premier League. Yeah. Then suffered a, their striker, talismanic striker that season, a horrific fracture against Birmingham. And the mm. players fell apart on the field after witnessing that injury. They never recovered the form, bled right out of them. Yeah. I mean, look, and I think to some extent, I, I think this could have happened to Everton too. And I think the sending off of Sun, which gave them the numerical advantage, actually 
and the anger of the crowd, not just because of that, but through decisions throughout the match, I think it led Everton to actually suddenly show some inspiration and show some passion, which I actually ask you, is that, you know, shouldn't they be showing that passion and inspiration throughout the entire match uh, when they're playing at home in front of their in, in front of their fans? But anyway, I, 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 took, I did take a symbol of pride, to be honest, that they did summon the ability, the tenacity to force their way back into the game. Mm. I mean, Jenk Tosin in particular is late, late show, a fine header, mm. 96 minutes, 57 seconds. I was so happy for Tosin, just mm. an unlikely hero, a guy who just seemed to have disappeared off the depth chart. You've been trying to trade him away all season. And never, never, never. <laughs> oh, what, sorry. I mean, my, my Tosin tramp stamp would be yeah. worthless. <laughs> On that day, to see his joy and passion upon scoring, it was it was oddly healing. And that's how it ended. A shattering emotional 90 minutes, 102 really, genuine dark experience, two teams bleeding confidence watching clubs, one of whom I love deeply, the other I admire greatly. It, it reminded me of Tom Wamsgan's feelings for Shiv Devo in succession mm. when he asked this question, I wonder if the sad I'd be without you would be less than the sad I get from being with you. That was oh. the feeling of this game. Okay, your weekend looks like this, Roger. It starts Friday at 3pm when Watford take on Norwich. Then at 7.30am Saturday, it's my main squeeze taking on my side partner as Chelsea travel to Palace. And Sunday, it's one versus two. Klopp <sighs> versus Pep. Reds versus Blues. Liverpool versus Man City at 11.30am Eastern Time on NBCSN. Let's have a prophetic shot of Jägermeister, Rog, and see what the future holds. <sighs> <sighs> Everything feels better with Jägermeister, Dave. And this Jägermeister is trying to thoughtfully manage my expectations. Oh, Liverpool running away with the league is a human darkness. This exquisite shot of human emotion is telling me that after days of managerial mind games, this game that we will be at in person, it's going to be a draw. I'll be sitting there <gasps> with my Everton pin on my lapel. It's going to be 1-1. Late Liverpool goals, God damn them to the end of days. We are drinking from a similar batch of Jägermeister, uh, Rod. Oh, because mine another shot. also tastes of a draw. Two amazing teams, just flawed enough to make this a massive win for the neutral. I'm seeing 2-2, two -two, Rod, with a lot of Brazilian scorers in this one. Oh. Fabinho, Fabinho, Fernandinho, Edison. Richarlison. Yeah, no, he's not in this one, Rog. There are many ways to connect to us, including a now extinct Amazon Emporium, which has transformed into the Men and Blazers Board Mart. Anytime you buy something big or small from the Board Mart, we get a tiny percentage allows us to produce a Board Mart this week. Roger. A book. Oh, wow. Because Internet Understanding the New Rules of Language Oh, by Gretchen McCulloch. Oh, mm. A mind-blowing exploration of how the Internet heard of it. Yeah. Is bending the English language at nosebleed pace. The author's a linguist. I think she writes for Wired magazine. And she writes that so much is changing at such a rapid pace that future generations will look back on our era and find it as fascinating as we now find the words of Shakespeare or Latin or Norman French and their impact on language. This book is at its best when it looks at the POV of what the writer calls full internet people, the generation who've only known the world with the internet and would prefer conversations via WhatsApp or Snapchat than by phone and how they fluidly and democratically warp formal written norms. Book is so different to the normally depressing crap, frankly, that I read week in, week out. I loved it. Worth reading for the chapters on the evolution of LOL and the language of emoji alone. There's few books I've read this year that have made me think more differently about the world around me, and I hope I've become a better listener as a result, Dave. Are you ready for a whole new Rog? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but I never believe one's coming. Um, Rog, uh, many people when they uh, meet me and we talk about tennis, I think they have they have an assumption. They've got a prejudice. They think that I'm going to be a Dunlop man. They think I might play with a Slazenger <gasps> tennis racket. I may play or be a sort of a newfangled tennis player and play with Babolat or Yonex or one of those newfangled brands or Head. Maybe I'd be like sort of a stylish sort of Head player. But I have been Wilson for life ever since. Honestly. Yeah, ever since the Jack Kramer autograph. That was the racket I played with as a junior. Pretty much after my first Max Play Fort junior, I moved to the, played the Jack Kramer. I've played with Wilson tennis rackets my whole you life. I'm, no, I'm a Wilson loyalist. I even played with the T3000, you know, that metal racket that Connor's played with briefly. I've played with Wilson rackets my entire life. I love a pro staff. I love a blade. I've played with every single version of the of, of the Wilson, Wilson racket. Palacios. Just, just no, I just like them. No, never played with Wilson with the Wilson Palacios. A bizarre Conquer Cafe uh, Wilson racket. <laughs> um, but I've played with Wilson rackets. And today I had the great pleasure of my son, who's you know spending his time between football and tennis. He's, he's a two sport of buying him what I would consider his first real tennis racket. If you've got a junior tennis player, you need to measure them. Right, you've got to find out their height. George has just reached four six. He's growing quite quickly right now. He's had to move out of his <sighs> little Robertson junior racket. Size. I had to go onto the Wilson site. I had to figure out what is the right length of Wilson racket for my son. It's a 25-incher. He's got to the 25-inch level, Roger. He's moved up from the 21, up from the 23, into the 25. And I bought him. This is not an endorsement, but I love this racket. The Wilson Federer Junior Tennis Racket, a bargain at $25, Rog. Um, he's so excited for it to arrive. He does believe it will make him. It's like Billy's boots. It's going to make him play like Roger Federer, that it's got a little bit of Roger Federer in it that's going to help him uh, hit a massive single-handed backhand. But Wilson Tennis Rackets, Wilson for life, Rog. Oh, I'll still use my Michael Chang Graphite Special Edition, David. You do. Prince for life, baby. Prince for life. You can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers at Embassy Davis at Rog Bennett on Instagram at Men in Blazers at Embassy underscore Davis uh, on Facebook on Men in Blazers. You can always send your Ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at menandblazers at gmail.com. I can't ben, wait the... to go to England with you, mate. Oh, is that England still up there? Next, in up north. Yeah. Next podcast is going to be live from the Hope Street Hotel. It is. Sunday night. Whoa. In Liverpool. Get ready for pished, Rog World. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig! Who wants to sex Matumbo? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweed. Abrogado, rock on me. Kung Fu fight in America. Love you, Davey. Love you, Rog. War cherries! <laughs>